Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 270. And tonight we are drawing towards the end. This is our penultimate slide on the council near the knees of Karathras. As we... <laughs> oh, dear. Something's happening over here. Hang on. Okay. Well, that's not going to work. Anyway, all right. My game is causing me troubles here. Never mind. I'll come back to it later. Um, okay. So... Um, tonight, we're, going, we're, we're coming back to the council near the knees of Karathras. As I say, we've got two slides left. Um, and tonight we're going to look at the initial, uh, admittedly mixed reviews uh, to Gandalf's plan. Now, Boromir has already spoken his piece, but now we're kind of opening the floor uh, to some extent uh, to see what other folks besides Boromir have to say. Uh, this prior to the... Um, um, the calling of anything like an official vote or anything. Um, so let's uh, let's jump straight in because I was delayed this evening a little bit longer than usual. So uh, let's jump straight in. Okay, so I just wanted to remember this the the launching off point at the end of this slide. Um, we have Gandalf's rather feeble reassurances. Maybe there won't be any orcs and. Um, who knows? Maybe there's dwarves, right? But as we were emphasizing last time, the most important thing that he emphasizes is, however it may prove, one must tread the, the one must tread the path that need chooses. Okay, Gimli is the first one to speak up. I will tread the path with you, Gandalf, said Gimli. I will go and look on the halls of Durin, whatever may wait there, if you can find the doors that are shut. Good Gimli, said Gandalf. You encourage me. We will seek the hidden doors together, and we will come through. In the ruins of the dwarves, a dwarf's head will be less easy to bewilder than elves or men or hobbits. Yet it will not be the first time that I have been to Moria. I sought there long for Thrayan, son of Thror, after he was lost. I passed through, and I came out again alive. I too once passed the Dimril Gate, said Aragorn quietly. But though I also came out again, the memory is very evil. I do not wish to enter Moria a second time. And I don't wish to enter it even once, said Pippin. Nor me, muttered Sam. All right. Um, okay, so we have Gimli's enthusiastic response. Um, I will tread the path with you, Gandalf. I will go and look on the halls of Durin, whatever may wait there if you can find the doors that are shut. So, all right, so what do we see in his response? Um, he's expressing his willingness. Now, to some extent, Gimli's also kind of, in his second sentence, um, kind of taking himself out of the voting, right? In a sense, in that he says, I will go whatever may wait there. Whether there are dwarves there, whether there are orcs there, whether it's a complete death, uh, death trap, don't care. Right? I'm in. I'm in. Whatever may wait there, which, again, is unlikely to win many others to his uh, point of view at that point. But also, <laughs> notice that Gimli, Gimli is, uh, um, has lost the thread a little bit, right? You know, here's Boromir, like, okay, if the objective is to get to, you know, Minas Tirith, I mean Mordor through Minas Tirith, there are all these other alternatives that we could go which are clearly better, 
Right. I mean, like, it's the gap of Rohan. Is there danger there? Yeah, probably yes. But seriously, more than going through, you know, Moria? I, I doubt it, right? Whereas Gimli is just like, objective? Who cares? Right? I will go and look on the halls of Durin, right? That sounds, that sounds, that sounds great. Um, uh, I will go and look on the halls of Durin has nothing to do with whether or not, Gimli's not even contributing to the discussion of is this, you know, the, the best way or at least the least bad way for the, for the company to go, um, you know, he's not considering the pros and cons in any way. Um, he is, he begins with the support of Gandalf. I will tread the path with you, Gandalf, right? And by implication, you could say, I don't want to do him an injustice. By implication, you could say that he's directly responding to what Gandalf just said, which is one must tread the path that need chooses. And Gimli says, I will tread the path with you. Gandalf. Like, if Need chooses this path, I will... But, but again, it doesn't exactly have the force of a, like, a, a blanket vote of confidence, right? Like, wherever you lead, Gandalf, I shall go. I have complete confidence in you. Um, or at least if that's what he means to imply in the first sentence, he kind of undermines it in the second, in the second sentence, right? In which he's like, because I really want to go where you're going. So, yeah, like, uh, I'm just pumped that um, Need has chosen the path that I particularly want to go. I mean, he was admitting before that he, you know, his heart trembled at the idea that they were, that he may see the mountains from the outside, right? Um, the idea that he could look on the halls of Durin themselves, oh, man, like, tourist dream, right? Um yeah. Now, again, I want to be careful, though. Again, I don't want to. I want to be too. I. It's not like I think that Gimli is using Gandalf here or something like that. He's he's just in it for the Moria tourism, right? Um, it's not. It's not just that, right? Um, and another thing that I would add is that Gimli here adds through his knowledge, which none of the rest of them have, um, of Moria. Um, he has added a a factor, an element to this situation, an obstacle that nobody else, that's not even come up yet, right? Gandalf didn't even mention that, oh yeah, the doors to get into Moria, like, it's not just a question of whether going into Moria is a good idea or a bad idea. There's also, you know, the minor issue of whether it's possible to enter Moria, right? Can we A, find the doors, and B, open the doors, as the doors which Gimli rather ominously calls the doors that are shut, right? Um, and uh, so, yeah, so Gimli's, it's Gimli's one condition, right? If you can find the doors that are shut, I'm, I'm with you. If not, we're going to, um, we're going to be in some trouble. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're, we're going to be in some trouble. And no, I don't, Everett is asking if Gimli is implying that Dan prohibited him and Gandalf has just granted superseding permission. No, I don't think so. Um, I think this um, this falls in line with um, uh, with what Matt was just saying, that Gimli's response is consistent with his position about oaths at the start of the journey in Rivendell. Like, he wouldn't have... He wouldn't have bailed um, on them 
he he wouldn't have bailed on them if the opportunity had arisen to go to Moria, right? And they were all going to go a different way. He wouldn't have been like, yep, yeah, well, this way to Moria. So, you know, thanks, everybody. It's been real. Um, I don't think so. Um, I don't think so. But is he genuinely and legitimately pumped that Need has chosen this particular route? Yeah, it sounds that way. Um, he's very he's very enthusiastic about that. But no, I mean, I think that he is... Um, and I believe that his intention to support Gandalf here is very real. Um, his willingness to go whatever may wait there, his undauntedness... Um, despite any resistance they might see, is, again, I think also designed to be, although, as, as I said, to some extent, it would seem to call his uh, his vote into question. Um, it nevertheless also does show his the stalwartness with which he is willing to stand by Gandalf um, and to, 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 to follow this plan. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah. Gandalf's response immediately. Um, yeah, Scott, I agree. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like I'm just knocking Gimli or, or, uh, um, you know, kind of making fun of him or something. Um, I don't think he's being self-serving here. Um, I think that he is, he is expressing an eagerness and a willingness um, and I think there's another thing here. I think there's a certain, he is, he is being stout hearted and brave. There's no question. Um, but I think there's a certain, what, statement of faith almost. And that, that's not quite the right way to say it, but. The, one of the other things that really strikes me about his comments here, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't call it Moria or the Black Pit, so he doesn't call it that either in, in Elvish or in English. Um, he calls it the Halls of Durin. <clears throat> I will go and look on the Halls of Durin. Gimli is here in one sense, I think, actually trying to kind of recast, uh, like reframe the discussion, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, do you see what I mean by that? I can understand how when you guys are talking about like the black pit and whatever you say, the, like, <clears throat> remember also he's responding to Boromir's comment that the name of Moria is black. I, one of the things that I see Gimli doing here is basically saying, no, it isn't. That is not its name. Yeah, some people, elvish people especially, call it that now, right? But that is not what we're talking... We are talking about the Halls of Durin, okay? And yeah, I'll go and look on the Halls of Durin. What fear should I have? to look on the halls of Durin. I, right, a dwarf of the clan of Durin himself, right? 
Yes, I will go and look on the halls of Dorne. Do you see what I mean by by a sort of reframing? Right? Like, this is a dark, evil place. Boromir just compared it to Mordor. Right? He said it's like going to knock on the the, the gates of Barad-dûr itself. So, I one of the, very gently, I think, um, Gimli is saying, dude, these are the halls of Dorne. That, this, you know, yes, okay, like, They've fallen on hard times. Yes, the property values have decreased in recent years, but like, I mean, not, and he's not trying to say it's not dangerous. Like he says, whatever may wait there, right? But again, notice that. Like, if there are enemies there, they're interlopers. They may be waiting in the halls of Durin, but they're still the halls of. I am still returning, rightfully, to the halls of Durin. That's what I meant when I said a, a statement of faith. Again, that seems. Saying it that way seems a little bit too strong, but 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 do you, do you see what I mean by that? Like, he does not concede the fact that this is that this is a place of evil. It may be a place where evil waits. Evil may have been evil did invade it. He's not going to deny that, and it has been hanging out there for quite some time, whether in the form of orcs or in the more shadowy version of, uh, you know, prospect of Durin's Bane, which he doesn't raise here, but which I think it's pretty clear must be in his own mind as well. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so yes, I think that he, um, He's not just recontextualizing it in the sense of like I want to I want to encourage you guys to think about this differently. He's wanting to reframe the whole like can we get one thing perfectly clear? This place that we're talking about that may be dangerous to, and it may be dangerous to enter it. But can we be clear about the fact that this is the halls the, the, these are the halls of Durin we're talking about, right? And I am one of Durin's people and I will go and I will look upon them. I I would, that doesn't sound scary at all, right? He has a certain right to it. Um, yeah, that's an interesting parallel, Matt. Ghibli's relationship to Durin's halls is similar to Boromir's relationship to Osgiliath. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, which would could mean several things, right? On the one hand, he would have a certain right to it. He certainly isn't going to just concede it to the enemy, right? But at the same time, they haven't rebuilt it either. And it would have been way easier for the people of Gondor to rebuild Osgiliath in the last century than it would have been for the dwarves to have rebuilt Moria in the last century, right? Um, so um, anyway, yeah, again, I don't, I, I, I'm not trying to suggest, of course, that I think that Gimli's in denial here. That's, that's really not the point at all. Um, but as I say, there does seem to me something like, if it isn't if it isn't faith exactly, it's it's uh, it's it's a cousin to it. I don't know if you guys see what I mean by that, um, but that he should not have to be afraid. Yes, there's going to be danger, but I'm not going to. Um, and he does trust in Gandalf. Oh, Maria, yeah, I see. I see that comment. I see you know you've been saying things like that too. He is also showing confidence in Gandalf. But again, I think the the Halls of Durin comment, he is not only pledging his, um, uh, he's not only pledging his, uh, 
um, trust in Gandalf's leadership. That will come in just a, a, a second, right? That 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 question will be explicitly raised. He is doing that, Omar. I'm not disagreeing with you, but that's not all that he's saying here, right? He is when he says essentially why he doesn't frame it as a why answer. But his second sentence is basically explaining. He's, first, he makes his, he declares his intention. I will tread the path with you. And then he gives a reason why. I will go and look on the halls of Durin, whatever may wait there. Why am I going to go? And he doesn't say, I will tread the path with you, Gandalf. You are an incredibly trustworthy leader, you know, whom I trust implicitly. Like, that's not where he goes. Where he goes is, these are the halls of Durin we're talking about. Of course I will dare to tread that path with you, Gandalf, whatever may wait there. Because um, they are interlopers, and I am of the House of Durin. Um, yeah. Kendall, I do think that's that's well remembered, well, remembered ahead. Um, when Durin stops, when Durin will stop to look at Mirror Mirror a little bit later on, on the other side of the mountains, right? That's a tourist moment, right? That's him saying, time out on the quest, right? Uh, running for our lives. Wait, let's pause that for a moment. Um, I've got a tourist thing I've really got to do, right? The dynamics there are pretty cool. I mean, he apologizes for it. Like He's like, sorry, not sorry, but I'm going to look in the mirror mirror, right? Um, that's not his attitude here, right? He's not saying, yeah, this is an excellent tourist opportunity. Um, but I do think that he is, um, he clearly embraces the opportunity. And I think that in recasting, that in attempting to redefine things, um, to remind people that this is not just the black pit we're talking about, this is not just, oh, Boromir, some stronghold of Sauron that we're attempting to penetrate. This is not a stronghold of Sauron. This is the halls of Durin. Right. And you may find that a comforting thought. He, I think, certainly does find it a comforting thought, though I don't think that anybody else does. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Matt, I agree. Patriotism is a good way to um, um, is a good way to, to, to characterize um, his feelings here, except the element that you'd have to add to that is if so I'm thinking about patriotism and Matt I'm thinking about patriotism in like a World War One context as you were evoking it there you know thinking of Tolkien's experience um, I'm imagining the kind of expression of patriotism that a French soldier might declare when advancing, like when going behind German lines, right? Um, and saying, I am not going to be afraid to go over there because I am French and that is France for crying out loud, right? Yes, the Germans are currently waiting there, right? But I am not going to be... You, do you see what I mean? Like that, that, that seems um, a kind of a closer 
sort of parallel, right? That's that's the trying to getting out the attitude that I hear from Gimli here, right? Um, not that he thinks he's going to be magically protected, like not that he thinks that everything is going to be safe. I mean, again, he presumes Balin to be dead and all of their people. So, um, you know, that who went with Balin, I mean. Um, so, again, it's, 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 again, it's not an article of faith, but something like that kind of an expression of patriotism, even a sort of stubborn patriotism. Um, um, yes, exactly. Matt says that the feeling everyone ascribed to the Belgians. Yes, yes, exactly. Exactly. That um, that seems to me Gimli's attitude here. Right. Um, you know, don't 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 talk to me about, you know, Nazi occupied territory. Right. This is Belgium. Right. And I am Belgian and I belong there. So don't you tell me. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's. um that seems to be a big part of his stubbornness in calling this the Halls of Durin. And again, he's not being delusional. You know, he's not, he's not. Um, but, um, but I think that that's an important, um, uh, I think that that's an important element of what he's doing and how he's kind of recasting that there. Um, now look at Gandalf's response to Gimli. Good Gimli, you encourage me. We will seek the hidden doors together. And we will come through. Right? Um, he is... So the first half of his paragraph here, of Gandalf's speech, is addressed to Gimli, though it's addressed to Gimli in a very self-conscious way, like very, very aware of the fact that it's a public performance, right? I mean, he's talking to Gimli, but he's totally talking to everybody else too, right? Um, we will seek the hidden doors together. You, you can almost give like sort of paraphrase of what he is wanting the hobbits to take from his sentences here, right? You encourage me. Like aside to the hobbits, you should be encouraged also uh, by Gimli's boldness and bravery and willingness to help. We will seek the hidden doors together. Aside, you see, I will have expert help. Like now, you can you're you're not just relying on me alone. You're you know there's there's like there's a local expert here as well, right? And we will come through. You know, Gimli, we will come through, right? Um, he is expressing confidence here in Gimli as well. We will seek the hidden doors together and we will come through. Together, we can do this, right? But of course, he's also saying um, to everybody else aside, we're not, we're not going to die, right? His expression of confidence. This is not, this is not a doomed thing. Gandalf... I believe that Gandalf feels confidence here. He believed. He said that he his heart told him from the beginning that they would end up going this way, right? He had some kind of instinct, some kind of intuition that Moria was the way that they should go. Um and he didn't know why and he didn't he clearly didn't feel strongly enough about it. To insist on it, he gave in to Aragorn, and they tried to cross over Carathros, right? Had he felt really convicted about his intuition, he'd have just insisted from the beginning, 
right? Um, I think that Gandalf does feel con- for that reason. I think he feels. I think that Gandalf now feels, in one sense, on safe ground. Safe ground in that he is confident in what he is. I, I'm, I'm, I'm contrasting here. Compare and contrast Gandalf and his running of this discussion with Aragorn running the discussion at Parth Galen, right? There are two different leaders who feel two very different kinds of ways about their own confidence in what they should do and why they should do it. At Parth Galen, Aragorn is genuinely uncertain. Uncertain what he should do what is the best road to take? He is divided in mind. We'll we'll get there, right? Gandalf is not um, Gandalf is not uncertain at all. Now he was sufficiently uncertain. Like he 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 was sufficiently sort of lacking in confidence, I guess, that um, uh, that the um, that he, again, he gave in to Aragorn, right? But now he feels that his initial judgment, his initial intuition has been confirmed. And he's, he's ready, right? He's ready. He is confident. But the hard part is going to be convincing everybody else that it's the right thing to do. And that's what this council is all about. He can't just spring it on him, right? He can't just be like, so off we go. Don't ask any questions, right? Um, he knows that asking them into to enter Moria is going to be a big ask. He knows this. Um, but I don't think that he has any doubt. Um, uh, uh, sometimes, I, I don't think he has any doubt that this is that this is the right thing, that this is the right thing to do. Um Yes. Yeah. Nancy says definitely a what should be shall be moment. Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Arnold, I think we definitely can see a theme of Gandalf, as you say, of Gandalf being uncertain and having his intuition be confirmed. Um, yes, he does tend to be cautious. I mean, and this is one of the things, this is, in my mind, that's the number one answer to the question, why didn't Gandalf figure out years earlier that Bilbo's ring was the one ring? One reason is the situation is not as simple as most people think it is. Um, uh, but the second reason is he's cautious. Like, he did suspect, but he didn't, for a long time, he didn't even dare go there, even follow that suspicion in his mind. And then when it became firmer, it still took a lot of time, like 17-ish years, um, in order for him to really come to a place where he was ready to sit down with Frodo and be like, Frodo, bad news. Your ring is Sauron's ring of power, right? Um, and there were reasons why he delayed, because he's very he's very cautious. Um, yeah, yeah. So... Um, his speech to Gimli here is clearly designed to build their confidence. 
he knows it's the right thing to do, but he knows he can't force them. It's not going to go well if he tries to trick or force them to go in. I have Gimli here to help me in this dwarvish place that we're going. Gimli, the dwarf, is all in on this, right? We will come through together. In the ruins of the dwarves, a dwarf's head will be less easy to bewilder than elves or men or hobbits. For whose benefit is he saying that? Not for Gimli's. Right? He doesn't need to tell Gimli that, right? Um, uh, but um, clearly, he is reassuring everybody else. Now he adds in the second half of the paragraph an extra thing. Yet it will not be the first time that I have been to Moria. Notice he doesn't lead with that. He doesn't start off saying, like his first response to, you know, the name of Moria is black, isn't, actually, I've been there, and it's not so bad. You know, I mean, it's, you know, I wouldn't want to build a summer home there, but it's nice. You know, it was fine. I lived. Um, yeah. <laughs> hey, Audric, yeah, I agree. He's doing that leader-teacher voice where he's always uh, half-addressing the whole class. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, Cal Elros, welcome, by the way. Um, I, it's a really good question. Um, trying to think if there are any sort of hidden providential benefits to having tried Karathras first. Um, yeah. Um, to some extent, so again, think of Gandalf's position here. On the one hand, um, Gandalf is, he says, and I don't see any reason not to believe him, that he had that intuition that they would end up going by Moria. Um, so you can say, why didn't you insist on that before then? Why did we almost face, you know, why did we face death in the snow? Um, the answer, of course, was, was Eric. I mean, he was not only indulging Aragorn, but he was respecting Aragorn as well. You think Aragorn doesn't realize that maybe trying to cross the, you know, the Alpine passes in January might be dangerous? Like, pretty sure Aragorn knew that, right? I mean, he said that he knew that. He said that um, he thought every option they had was horrible. Um, but remember also Gandalf saying that, um, you know, if you bring a ranger along with you, and especially if that ranger is Aragorn, you ought to listen to him. Right. And I think in part he was following his own advice. In addition, um, in addition, he, um, Gandalf, that is, think of what the intuition is basically telling him. Like, okay, so there's, there are basically two ways. I mean, he's in his own mind already ruled out Boromir's other two suggestions, the Gap of Rohan and the Southern Road. Um, so he's like, realistically, we've got two options. We either go over the mountains or under them, as he said at the very beginning. And to everybody, the road under would be like the obviously worse road, right? I mean, it's between those two, even in January, it's kind of, I mean, there's a road, there's literally a highway, right, that goes over this path. I mean, it's not exactly, a, you know, 
six-lane interstate, but it's definitely, um, it's the main road. You know, people go this way all the time. This is a well-traveled path, right? So your intuition better be pretty rock solid for you to say like, so there's a perfectly good path, but nah, let's, um, let's, um, let's take, let's take the super dangerous underground road, right? I mean, like the, he was not ready to insist on that. Apparently his intuition wasn't, wasn't strong enough, right? To, um, uh, to say that, uh, you know, let's turn away from the obvious route and, uh, and go the underground route instead. So between that and his faith in Aragorn and his respect for Aragorn, um, he is convinced that it is the right thing to try, to try the, like, you know, what seems outwardly like the least, uh, the less dangerous road of the two. Not a great option, as Aragorn said, but still better than the other, as Aragorn argued, right? Um, but now his intuition has been confirmed. So, Cal Elros, I'm still thinking about your point. Um, the providential step is the answer to the question, Right? Providence has answered by closing off that road, literally, within, you know, avalanche of snow, right? So, um, Karathras is closed to them. Now, they have no choice. Now, things, Gandalf's mind is clearer now. Now, he's ready to say, this is absolutely the way that we should go. And in fact, he is willing to say, it's Moria, or we give up and lose. That's it. That's what he has said, right? Um, is there any way that uh, that the they're being on they're spotted being spotted on Karathras is a benefit? Um, I don't know. I mean, let's um, we could think we could think about some other possibilities there. I think it'd be interesting to see if that were to turn out to be true, Cal Elros. I think that we would see some evidence of that later on. Um, uh, yeah. Eodric, that's a really interesting way of thinking about it. The avalanche is Providence saying no to Karathras, right? The Krabine were Providence saying no to the Gap of Rohan. That's a really good way of saying about it. Like, just in case you're curious, right? Um, here is, uh, um, you've got, Let's call them three options. Ignore the southern route for now. Just taking Gandalf's word for it, that's not really practical at all. Um, between the three, right? Uh, just in case you were thinking, oh, you know, maybe, uh, maybe Saruman's not paying attention. Maybe his, you know, his gaze is elsewhere. Maybe we can slip on past and and he's not being vigilant. Well, a genocide of Krabine might change your mind about that. Right. That seems unlikely under the circumstance. So that's going to be a big fat no on the Gap of Rohan. Yeah. Avalanche, big, big fat no on Karathras. Right. Um, well, first fish, there's even more than that. Right. In just a few moments, they're going to get chased by wolves right to the gates, the doors that are shut. Right. So, um, just in case they are wavering, which, as we will see, they are, um, Providence is going to give them a big, fat yes to Moria. Um, 
where even Boromir is going to agree that it's their only and best option, right? Um, and that's thoughtful, I think. Um, but, um, yes, <laughs> Green Great Dragon, you're right. And as soon as they cross the threshold of Moria, the Watcher's going to shut them in. So, just in case they had second thoughts, yeah, they, um, they're going to get, by the time they're sitting there in the dark inside of Moria, they will have gotten a very great deal of guidance along the way here, right? Gandalf's intuition will have been borne out for everyone. to like, Nobody can argue with it anymore after that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, um... So that, that's the main that's the main way in which I, I, I see Providence, I, I think, pretty clearly at work uh, in this whole scene. Does it have other possible effects? Are there other ways like um, and Cal Elros, I assume one of the things you're thinking of um, is uh, what like what, what we see in The Hobbit, right, where. Um, you know, something leads them to go in a different direction, and then it, they find out later on that if that if that hadn't happened, right? If they hadn't been kidnapped by the goblins and come out in a different part of the mountains, had they actually succeeded in crossing the path, past then that would have been horrible, right? Because it actually they would have then like totally gotten lost in the woods because that's, um, you know, that path was like leading to destruction, and and this 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 kept happening to them, right? Um, until it turns out, as we're told at the beginning of chapter 10, I think it is, in The Hobbit, um, that they end up coming in barrels, right, um, by the only path that was any good. So it turns out the only path that was any good to get to the Lonely Mountain was, like, via the inside of a barrel right down the river. Um, though that wasn't precisely how they drew it up at the very beginning. Um, so, um, um, so, yeah, we will... Um, we will see. Um, we will see how that. Um, we will see how that goes. Um, so, Kurtzmus, two questions about. Um, uh, did, I, did I say they were taking barrels to Moria? Not what I meant. If that's what I said, um, they get to the Lonely Mountain by the only route, they, but which is by barrel. Um, why do we believe Providence is in charge of any of this? Um, Primarily following the promptings of Gandalf and Elrond, um, especially of Gandalf. Um, Gandalf is the one who draws our attention to this, you know, by that thing that he says where he can't say, speak any plainer. Um, Gandalf believes that these events, he states explicitly the belief that these events are being orchestrated by some power that is a power beyond Um uh, that is a power beyond the enemy and his ring. And um, um, I I think that um, that really begins uh, a whole sort of line of, like, once, once you follow Gandalf's prompting there and you start thinking in those terms, you can begin to see these patterns and Elrond and Gandalf's words and decisions begin to make much more sense, um, including things like what Gandalf just said. Um, one must tread the path that need chooses and stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely Elrond, but especially Gandalf. Yes, yes, agreed. Um, 
Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Christmas. I don't want to get too distracted on this. Um, but I believe Tolkien in the Lord of the Rings, Tolkien gives and Silmarillion in many ways, especially the Aino Indole. Tolkien gives the best treatment. So providence, that is that the will of God is operative in things and brings about the events that God wants, like that, you know, when God creates, he's outside of time. The whole scope of time is created. Like God knows what's going to happen. Things work out how God wants them to work out. Um, that's one sort of part of the, the, the theological reality for a Catholic. The other, and many other Christians as well, um, the other part is that free will is real and your choices actually matter. Um, what does it mean for both of those things to be true? Um, there are ways, of course, um, many of you will know, um, I recommend Boethius <laughs> in explaining. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Eric says, uh, read the, I know <laughs> step one, read the, I know in a way step two, read the consolation of philosophy. Yeah, exactly. There are lots of ways to understand this in the Lord of the, in the Lord of the Rings, Tolkien tells a story which lives in both worlds more fully. Like he gives a, a fuller in the Lord of the Rings gives a more fuller and more satisfying uh, view of what those two things married together look like than any other story I know. Um, I would, I mean, if somebody like a non-Tolkien fan were to be, if I were just like in a, you know, philosophical or theological discussion with somebody and they said, I don't get how, um, you know, providence and free will can both be operative at the same time. I would say, if you want to try to, if you want an angle at how you can understand this, read Boethius's Consolation of Philosophy. If you want to read a story to get an experience for what that looks like and how it works, read the Lord of the Rings. Um, so, um, uh, anyway, I mean, that's, I, I think it's a big deal, but anyway, I don't, <laughs> that, that's, this is me not getting distracted by this little, um, side road here. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, where were we? Oh, yes. Gandalf's n nigh certainty now that his intuition is correct, but he still needs to convince the rest of them and does not yet know that Providence is about to give him a big old hand uh, on that uh, on that subject. Um, coming back to his now adding, only now, I've been to Moria before and I survived. Um, it's tempting to say, Gandalf, you might have led with that, right? Like, as a, as a reassurance. Right. Um, but I think there are good reasons why he doesn't. 
Um, first, there's an obvious objection to be made, which is it was a long time ago. Right. You see how long ago that was? That was 17 plus 60 plus, oh, what was it, 96 years before? I'm th- in chapter one of The Hobbit, he says that he got the key and map from Thran. Was it 96 years before that? 96 years he's been carrying around the map and key in his sweaty pocket until he meets, until he gives it to Thorin in Bag End, right? And this was presumably before that. So, yes, he's been to Moria, but it was like 175 years ago that he was in Moria. So it's not exactly, you know, um, up to date reconnaissance on his part, right? Um, so uh, it's um, it's relevant. It's relevant. But um, but yeah, his his TripAdvisor posts are pretty far out of date. That's exactly it, Ron. Yeah, yeah, um, yes, um, and yeah, Dizzy, I agree. Um, he's not. He explicitly does not say. So you see, it's fine. There's nothing to be afraid of. I've been there. It's like no big deal. He doesn't say that. I passed through and I came out again alive, which, as Dizzy says, sounds a little ominous, right? Um, especially when, as Dizzy recalls, we actually remember um, that um, he may uh, <laughs> he may possibly be uh, uh, putting his perfect record at risk there <laughs> on that particular score, right? Well, Gandalf... One out of two times in Moria isn't bad, I guess. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a hundred years ago, last Thursday, was the, yeah. Right, Thrain, your father, went away a hundred years ago last Thursday. So it would have been after that. So somewhere between 177 years ago and then, I, I think it was 96 years. I That number's in my head. I might be wrong. But, um, anyway... It was a while ago. It was a. It was. I'm just saying, as Rowan pointed out, his TripAdvisor reviews are a little bit dated here. Um. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Uh, no. So he says, "I sought there long for Thran, son of Thor, after he was lost, because." That's where Thrain was going. He didn't get there. To Moria. He ended up in Dol Guldur instead, which is not at all what his destination had been. Right. Um, so he eventually tracks him down in Dol Guldur, but he doesn't go seeking him there first. Right. Um, Aragorn adds to the um, dubious votes of confidence. I, too, once passed the Dimril Gate, but though I also came out again, the memory is very evil. I do not wish to enter Moria a second time. Do not recommend, right? Um, yeah. Um, yes. 
True. Nancy, actually, you're right. You are completely right. I am incorrect. Gandalf is, in fact, going to be two for two. He is going to come out of Moria alive both times. It's just that he'll die almost immediately afterwards the second time. But technically, he does emerge. So there you go. Unbroken record. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, right, great. Fourth Thomas says, according to Appendix B, Gandalf entered Dol Guldur in 2850. Um and that was 168 years earlier. So somewhere in between there, between 177 and 168 years, during that period when Thrain left and when Gandalf found him in Dol Guldur, um, that was the period, is during that, during that decade. Sometime in there, he spent a certain amount of time trolling around. I probably shouldn't use that word. Um, uh, kicking around Moria. That's a better word to use about trolls. Um, uh before he, uh, um, uh, before he gave up. Um, why did Aragorn go? Yeah. No idea. No idea. He never says. Aragorn does not like talking about this. I mean, remember, Frodo was intimidated by how freaked out Aragorn sounded when, um, when Aragorn was talking about this, right? The urgency in his voice, begging him not even to mention it to everybody else. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure how far Aragorn went. And we certainly don't know why he went. Um, I... I think... Um, I think Aragorn was just like curious. <laughs> right? I mean, I think he's, he's been everywhere. Right. I mean, he's, um, I mean, I think it, it could well be an interesting story. I think it's just like, he's, there is this place which is legendary for being dark and dangerous and he wants to assess it. Right. Like he's not just going to be like, Oh yeah, I know nothing about Mori, but I hear it's dangerous. Like he's been, you know, he's been all around. Um, and um, he wanted to check it out. Notice the... Um, uh, yeah, some kind of scouting, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and yes, for Thoughtless, I was totally thinking of the Johnny Cash song when I said that. Um, it would be really funny doing a version of the I've Been Everywhere song, um, the, the, the Aragorn version. Um, I feel like that's a parody that really, that really needs to happen, actually. Um, could you imagine rattling off like the, like Cinderin and Quenya names, you know, in, uh, uh, like the verses of that, uh, of that Johnny Cash song? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but, um, but notice that, um, you know, it's possible that it could have been when he was hunting for Gollum. It's possible. Can't rule it out anyway. Um, but, um, uh, anyway, notice the, he speaks rather cautiously. Notice what Gandalf says. Gandalf says, it's not, it will not be the first time I have been to Moria. 
I sought there long. I passed through. Those are some bold claims. It's like, Moria, yeah, totally been there. Totally have the Moria stamp on my passport, right? Yes, I've been to Moria. I didn't just, like, poke my head in and come out again, right? I hung out for a long time. I sought there long. I, he spent, what, weeks? Months, maybe? Poking around inside Moria? It's like, yeah, I toured the joint. And I passed through. I came out the other side, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, notice Gand or Aragorn by contrast. I, too, once passed the Dimril Gate. But though I also came out again, the memory is very evil. I do not wish to enter Moria a second time. He doesn't say, I've been to Moria. I passed through. He says, I passed the gate. I, I crossed the threshold of Moria. Um, I do not wish to enter Moria a second time. He never actually claims to do anything other than, um, other than enter it, right? Um, yeah, Dine did that too. Yeah, or at least he, um, um, he looked in, right? Um, I do suspect he went further than Dan JJ, but yeah, I don't know how many steps further he went. Um, yeah, yeah. So, though I also came out again, the memory is very evil. So again, Aragorn is explicitly saying, don't take my survival as, <laughs> you know, it's like a, it's like all those, you know, Twitter statements, like retweets, uh, like do not equal uh, agreement or approval or endorsement or whatever, right? Um, you know, my survival does not, equal like endorsement of this like just be I'm not saying I think it's a good idea um yeah um ooh Matt that is a really interesting Matt's throwing out the really interesting paper topics today that would be an interesting topic compare and contrast Aragorn's reaction to the Dimril Gate and the Paths of the Dead set alongside Gimli's reaction to the Dimril Gate or to the Moria Gate and the Paths of the Dead um, yeah, yeah. And I would, uh, I would throw in there, I'd be tempted to throw in there anyway, um, the connection that people have been making to the PTSD reaction he was showing in Brie, um, about the Nazgul, right? Um, yes, yes. Um, yes. So... Both of them, Gandalf will say this explicitly later, Aragorn is saying it explicitly now, um, both of them entered from the east, uh, from the Lothlorien side. Um, that's where the Dimril Gate is. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, the Dizzy, the fact that everyone doesn't mention going through suggests to me very much that he came back out the same gate that he went in. After it is after an uncertain amount of time and after an explicitly unstated quantity of experiences, right? All he states is the quality of experience that he had, and that is very evil. 
Um, one star. Does not recommend. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Pippin chimes in. So Aragorn ends with, I do not wish to enter Moria a second time. I think that we have to imagine, remember again, remember that intensity that he was showing in his private conversation with Gandalf, which Frodo overhears. Aragorn saying this quietly, like that the use of the adverb there suggests to me that Aragorn is controlling himself here. He's not wanting to make it harder. His last speech was not awesome as far as uh, being supportive of Gandalf is concerned. Right. Um, he, um, his last speech was kind of a downer. He is now speaking very, very quietly. Right? Um, that last sentence sounds very measured. I do not wish to enter Moria a second time. Um, that's very different in its tone and quality than what Frodo overheard Aragorn saying to Gandalf. And it seems that Aragorn is making the decision to try to be uh, um, a little more measured here. Um, Pippin seizes upon it and says, I don't wish to enter it even once, which, by the way, this is like low-key one of my favorite Pippin sayings. Um, Pippin just chirping up here, and I don't wish to enter it even once. Um, I just, I think this is really, um, I, I, I just think it's, it's, it, it's a really fun interjection by Pippin. Um, notice that Sam doesn't join him, nor me muttered Sam. Sam is muttering again. Not, he's not speaking out like Pippin is speaking out, right? Pippin is, like, jumping right in with Aragorn and Gandalf. And so, you know, Gandalf was talking, Aragorn was commenting, um, you know, Gimli just piped in, Boromir's been making his objections. Pippin is going to jump right in there, right? Sam, Sam doesn't. Sam doesn't. Um... I don't think there's any reason to think anybody else um, hears what he says here, other than Frodo. Going out on a limb here, and I'm thinking Sam is probably standing near Frodo when he says this, and that Frodo as narrator is interjecting Sam's muttering here. But we see this, this thing by Sam is in the same category of the mutterings and grumblings that we've gotten from Sam before that we've been talking about, like the one wall and no roof makes a house comment. And the, I wish this lot would go off to Hobbiton. That is the snow. Um, uh, you know, there've been several times that we have heard these kinds of contributions, uh, from Sam. Um, you know, the, uh, uh, his comment about thinking that the, you, you know, um, that Karathras was, um, uh, was, the mountain, right? Was the, 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 was Mount Doom. Um, 
And this passage actually, I think, helps me. It helps me to understand. You know, I've been kind of struggling to understand the significance of Sam's mutterings. That is, of what's what's good about Sam's mutterings. One of the things that we've been talking about is that we can see him kind of giving voice to things that Frodo can't himself say. Um, but this, I think, is really... Um, this is the thing that I think is really revealing to me. And it's revealing to me because he could just say this out loud, but he doesn't, right? Now, that could well be, I'm sure, part of the issue there is that he is, um, he doesn't want to put himself forward, right? Um, you know, he's, I think it's pretty safe to say that of every single member of the party, with a possible, uh, possibly including Bill, um, that Sam, um, Sam has the uh, least leadership ambitions of any of them. Um, Sam is, is the least person in the entire party to claim any, you know, right or duty to make decisions for the party or contribute to decisions for the party. I mean, you think about it, this is a it's a pretty blue-blooded group, right? Aragorn's the wizard who's in charge. You've got Aragorn, you know, the uh, uncrowned king. You've got Boromir, the captain general of Gondor. You've got Legolas, the, you know, the prince of Mirkwood. You've got Gimli, not exactly a prince, but, you know, of a very important family. Um, you've got Merry and Pippin and Frodo, all of whom um, have significant positions within their own culture, sure, but, um, you know, maybe not so much in the wide world. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, exactly, Bricktails. Aside from Sam, everyone else's aristocracy or full royalty. Something like, it's not, not exactly fully, but, but yeah, something like that. I mean, Sam... Uh, uh, but it isn't just that. It's not just his it's not just his social position. It's also his character, right? Sam's humility. Um Sam's not grumbling because he wants to make trouble or give trouble to anybody. Um if he he could say nor me out loud to everybody else. Um I mean Pippin, you know, just said it. Boromir's been voicing reaction. Like, he knows he wouldn't be alone. It's not like he'd be putting himself forward and saying something, you know, against what the whole rest of the party says or anything like that. Um, he totally could. No one would stare at him. Um, but he doesn't. He does say it. Right? He does say it. He does register it. But he registers it where, again... I am gathering from context only Frodo can hear it. Um, yeah, yeah. Kirstenmas, it does seem that Sam has no no desire to influence the party um, at large. Um, yeah, yeah. Um,
that is an interesting point, Desi. I hadn't been thinking about that, but you're right. It is interesting that Pippin says wish, not want. He's echoing what Aragorn just said. And Aragorn, again, I think was speaking very carefully. I do not wish to enter Moria a second time, which is very far from saying I refuse to enter Moria. Right? And it's not even the same thing as saying I really don't want to go into Moria. Right? He's saying I don't wish to. Like, it's um, this would not have been my choice, right, is what he's saying, which is clear. Like, Gandalf already said that, right? Exactly. He isn't saying that he won't go. He's just saying that he do not, he does not, he does not wish to enter it a second time. Um, Pippin's repetition of his phrase, I think he's not, Pippin is, I think, not, this might shock you. I don't think Pippin is being careful about his words here. I think that he is just kind of taking Aragorn's words and lobbing them out, right? Um, I don't wish to enter it even once. Um, he's not quite turning it into a joke. I mean, it isn't a joke. Um, but it is very Pippin. Uh, that's, that's why I like this. Um, you know when you have great affection for someone and when they do something that is just like very them it's not like it's a good thing or anything but it's just something that is like so them it like leads to this like upsurge of affection right um i i feel that way like that statement and i don't wish to enter it even once is such a very pippin statement uh that it it makes me feel this upsurge of affection for pippin um um yeah yeah um okay i was going to go on to the next slide but i'm so not because a we're out of time, and B, because the next slide is is long. Um, in the next slide, join us next time when Gandalf will try to reframe the discussion one last time, um, as he feels. Basically, he's um, uh, Pippin in pouncing on Aragorn's statement. There has. Um, led things in an awkward direction. Um, Pippin is doing his fool of a took thing and Gandalf is going to correct him in just a minute. Um, but um, anyway, we'll, we'll come back to that next time. Um, thanks everybody. Uh, who's just joining us for book discussion tonight. It's field trip time. Um, I should be here next week. Um, so I'm planning on I'm planning on class next week. Um, class three weeks in a row should be good. Um, I will be gone the week after that, though. Um, it's a trip with my in-laws the week after that. So um, be on family travel again. Um, but um, I, but yeah, so I won't be here that. So that's the, the week of the um, 8th of, uh, or is it 7th, 8th? Anyway, in there of August, that'll be the day that I won't be here. Um, and, um, uh, and we'll, uh, but, but I'll be, I'll be here, as I say, next week. So, um, let us get the field trip together.
How are you doing, Valerie? I forgot I'm to gonna... turn my mic on. Hello. <laughs> Good. Good yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to try to... I'm, I'm coming back in here. It's like, I, I mean, okay, I was one of those teenagers just like Pippin that always had to have that smart remark and they had to mm -hmm. say it just loud enough. And they had to make sure everyone was listening for, you know, and if they weren't listening, I'd say it again. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I was definitely one of those teenagers. Oh, totally. But, yeah, me too. But like looking back, it is so cringe. It's just like, Pippin, we can't take you anywhere, can we? <laughs> you just know he's like, you, you take him over to like, you, you like make dinner for him and he'd say very loudly, this doesn't taste very good or something. It's just it's like he's not doing it to be mean. He just has no filter. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, so Bricktails, we're not going to go on a field trip to the Black Pit tonight, though that is coming. Um, oh. As we get closer to Moria, we definitely will do a oh, tour. Oh, there's, there's lots of Black Pit. Don't worry. Oh, yeah. We have a great deal of Black Pit. Oh, of man. Black Hang on a second. Pit. I'm going to... My... Uh... Sorry, I'm going to crash again, I think. Hang on. Come on. Yeah, I have yeah. to come back, back in again. No worries. No worries. I'm sorting it out. Keep it on, keep it on. Yeah. There we go. Okay. But but it, it's also really funny because Pippin's throwing cold water on on the Gandalf, going, "See, see, see. Some of us aren't Debbie Downers. Some of us want to go in the Black Pit." <laughs> you just know yeah. Legolas is making faces this whole time, just sort of going. Ugh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Legolas's contribution, I think, is very interesting. I mean, it's kind of like low key interesting. He only has the one statement. We'll see it in the next line, but. <laughs> I, I yeah. just remember the one line of that Anthony McDaniel said in the animated one. And I know no one likes the, the Ralph Bakshi one, but he said that perfectly when he goes, Who'd want to come back here? <laughs> <laughs> There are some interesting things in the Bakshi version. I like both the Bakshi it, and the it, Rankin Bass. Peter S. Beagle's script is the best script adaptation. It's a it's a really it's a really interesting script. He um, kept all of the the good humor. He he was really good at getting to the meat of every scene. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. All right. Well, back to Scurlock Farm because we found that there's like. A world of ruins that still await us. Oh yes, in southern Carnelan. Quite a lot of Skurlock. Yes. So, but we are nearing the end. We may perhaps uh, have only one or two more field trips. To start off here in Skurlock, but mm. okay. So we're going down. Sedgemead is where is the the land that we had entered there. Um, after finding those fascinating what seemed to be faux paleolithic ruins hmm. erected by the people of Cardolan. I mean, we found what seems to me almost incontrovertible evidence that they were putting up their own like imitation um, uh, well, not ruins, but like burial sites. 
Yeah, was, yeah, they were aping. They were aping the old. Yeah, yeah. The old. But you just I'm going off in this other direction, vaguely other direction. Actually, hang on, I should probably go over this ridge now that I'm looking at the map, because we're going to want to come down on the other side of that inlet. I've never been down this way before, so let's try this. Right, this is yeah. That's more or less where I want to go. Okay, hang on. So there's a little inlet. We could swim down. In theory. It's slow though. Let's keep going. Let's go over the next ridge, Tim. All right. Okay. Um. So. So yeah, the construction of the. Um, yeah, well, let's not call them fake because, again, it's not like we're trying to claim they were charlatans trying to, you know, um, you know, pass off uh, Paleolithic, fake Paleolithic ruins to gullible tourists or something like this. The point is they were doing their own reconstructions. Like they were building, you know, this sort of Paleolithic um, uh, grave sites on New their Bo own Hillman. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Nuvo. Speaking of, oh, though that's the, that's Necropolis B, right? Yeah, I'm unfair. Yeah. Straight up across over there. Okay, yep, we haven't seen yep, it from yep. this angle, right? And there's Nimbarth, and here's that darn river again. Oh, look, it's the source. Hey, that's fun. Oh. Yeah. Look at that. Oh. You can see it coming out well, the rock. Lobster. Yeah. Yeah, I've almost never seen that. Source of a river in Lotro. Can we get up want here? to drink facets from the dirty ground. We can't. We can't get up there. Okay, no problem. We'll just keep going around. And hope we don't clip through the boulders. Oh, well, there's that. Yeah. Okay, and here's... This is good context. There's Karanost, right? So we can see where yeah. the, the big old city in the middle yeah. was. And in context, actually... How many ruins? Yeah, we got the light for it today. Bunch, of, yeah, it's right. It's both daylight and not raining, so it's a great day. So just over the rocks, I can see off to the left there, we can see the bell tower slash lighthouse tower um, of uh, what's it called, Nimbarth, down there. Mm -hmm. And so that means, so we've got Nimbarth over there, and we've got Karanost over there. And so in these hills of Sedgmead that we're in between. We can see, well, a number of things. We can see one, well, let's go over to those little ones over there. Since we've already come this way so far, we might as well carry on. Whoops, mm -hmm. okay, good. That wasn't as big a cliff as I feared. And if we go just towards- Just big enough. Yeah, just big enough. Um, All these lovely crunching ankles. <laughs> Mine didn't actually. I didn't. I. I. I was. Uh, I fell off. Oh, please wait up for the rest of us. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. Everyone else limping along after. Um, yeah. Poor horses. Okay. They were somewhere in this direction. Oh yeah. I see one. I think. Yes, I do. Okay. Um. Yes. Um. Yes. Bricktails. You're right. The. Um. Um the picturesque movement of landscape architecture um, in especially the early early 19th uh, century actually um, mm -hmm. was when that was really like Byron time you know right oh around yeah there, yeah 
where you'd build uh, fake ruins in your in your garden and um, a tumble down house. And yes, sometimes Nancy hire a hermit to live in a dilapidated hermitage on your property, just because it was picturesque. Um, tear down the old grove to grove to build a Grecian temple. Yes, yes. Actually, there was of... a guy who did that in the 1990s in Hampstead Heath. He was the CEO of a washing up powder company and he wanted to make a replica Roman bath in the middle of Hampstead Heath. This doesn't surprise me. Completely um, barmy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it makes me think of the wonderful Tom Stoppard play, Arcadia, which is just mm. brilliant, brilliant piece of 20th century uh, theater, but only if you are okay with math. Um, Anyway, um, so this, I'm trying to situate myself here. So that's great Kiana's for filming my Romeo and Juliet project for school. <laughs> ah. Okay, so we've got Karenost right there. Yeah. So this is, uh, I mean, it's, it's a relatively More modest Karenost? construction. I yeah, mean, it's, it's almost... It doesn't look enough to be its thing on its own. It might have been attached to the bigger structure. Attached to Karanost? Maybe. It's kind of some close kind enough for like a outpost of it. Yeah, some kind of way, way post or truck stop or something on the way. Yeah. You know, okay. last gas till Karanost kind of deal. Um mm -hmm. I mean, this seems to be... This could have been a tower. It's not round, but that doesn't mean it's impossible. It could be like a watchtower with a little gazebo area in front. That seems yeah. like de rigueur around here. Um, yeah. yeah, I was thinking the sort of U-shape of the pillars, because it's this... It's not just an incomplete circle. Because you can see the way that this runs. This is running straight here. Yeah. Feels like it's the like, guts of a stable. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, I'm going with truck stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going with truck stop. And there's... Because this fragment probably belonged to the building, I think, before it fell off. Mm -hmm. Right? And there's a little... Yeah, so that would have been... That's the road leading right, right to Karanos that has those columns next to it. So for those who are coming in, that's the, yeah, that's the South Road. That's coming up from Tharbad. So folks who are coming mm -hmm. up from Tharbad, they, they put up a colonnade, you know, here as you're going. Because here you'd be going right under the city. Remember this part of the city, too, by the way, is the, um, is the luxury resort part of the, oh, yes, of yes, Karinos. Yes. With the, you know, like you could just see the swimming, you know, the swimming pool area and stuff. So, yeah. um, um, so yeah, I think that, um, that, this road would have been part of the fancy approach from Tharbad in the south. I don't know how much tourism business they did, you know, from like Gondor or whatever, but Tharbad would have been occupied. Um, uh, well, well, the, the necropolis certainly is a tourist attraction. So well, probably be yeah, this locally, pilgrimage sure. road. Yeah, yeah it, it looks yeah. like a pilgrimage road or what's left of it. Possibly, possibly. Um, Okay, now we get this other wall over to here. Other about local bakers and millers. Yeah, tonight is just going to be herring around Hedgemead, pursuing uh, ruins we see from a distance. So this is a Hedging road around the sedges. Right. Well, this is a not a road. This is a wall, walling off this yeah. gap in the hills. 
there was presumably a gate here though the wall's been wrecked as if like it got broken in a siege and then left that way why were we doing that what Maybe is there something up here that we're blood. protecting i'm trying to figure out what why anyone wanted so badly either a to get through that gap in the hills or to prevent anybody else getting that through the gap in the hills tolls <laughs> but for, for people going where to the necropolis well they have a spa there so apparently they're loaded oh well in Karanos, yeah they do sure if there wasn't a spa the necropolis that would have been unthematic oh yeah no Karanos, yeah yeah oh, i don't know that, that falls with egyptian temples but you remember half of the stuff they don't actually know what anything's for they're making it up as they go yeah. Oh, and of course, Jade is completely correct. This is that we're on the backside of the wall right now. You can tell by the crenellations at the top. So, oh um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it was the. That's why I was riding up in this direction because I'm trying to figure oh, out okay. who was up here. That was like, what are we protecting against? Trying up to a vantage point here. When any mm. hints from the landscape? I. Mm. Whoa. Well, what's in there? More ruins in a lake down there, it looks like. Yeah. Mm, gotta go check that out. But, um, yeah, I have no idea what's up here. It's weird, because it's, it's a really thick wall. It's like a checkpoint or something, like they're checking for passports or intent or mm -hmm. taxable goods, foreign fruit. I don't know. <laughs> foreign fruit. Customs. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah, we told you you can't bring firewood across the border. I'm sorry. No. But yeah, if they're going to the like, you know, the the big fancy spas and stuff like that, you know. Yeah, no, but they'd be coming set. from it. It's facing. It's facing. Oh Christ. yeah, it's, they're facing yeah. that. They're facing. It. Okay, so yeah, the question is where. So it's are they to going keep to? the spa goers out. Like, if y'all want to come to the necropolis, you've got to pay a toll. Ah yes. A tithe. In that case, it'd be a tithe. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Could be. Could be. Right, people are suggesting maybe a dam. Yeah, I agree with JJ. The crenellations, um, the crenellations would seem to suggest that it was a defensed thing. But there's no place, there's no big place to house anyone. It would have been like a small shack. It would have been like one man, one guy, two guy tops. Yeah, no, there there isn't, and there's no evidence of any large buildings. Where so it's not like a military okay. fortification. It just seems more like a an official. Right. So there's a ton of lakes here, and they all seem to have ruins in them. At least several of them seem to do. They're um, steaming a bit. Are these hot springs? They seem it. So natural hot springs. That's I a mean, draw for sure. Canonically, within the context of the Lo within the context of Lotro, it's well. What season is it here? It's going to be like late summer, early fall, mm -hmm. because this is a this is a starter area or near a starter yeah. area, um, which means it's taking place, you know, as Frodo is setting out um, in September, September ish. Right. Oh, well, I thought this area starts off when Boromir gets lost around here before he gets to Rivendell. So that would sound like spring because that took him almost 
six right. months from here to Rivendell. Right. So yeah, it's I'd possible that it's just fog. I mean, this does not huh? look like. I mean, like I was just in Yellowstone two weeks ago, and this doesn't look like any hot spring I've ever seen. Let me tell you. Um, I think it's probably just mist or fog. Um, yeah, we get a lot of, of that of wetlands. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, it looks like this after it rains in a hot summer day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it does look like whatever was here burned down, fell over, and sank into the swamp. But I think it's yeah. it was clearly not something. It was I mean, it's just a gazebo, like just a you know dance floor with the columns all around. Yeah, it looks like. I mean, it's apart from like the. It's not as brackish as it might be. It looks a little inviting and pretty. Sure. It's nice and to look at. I can easily believe that. So, um, Rowan and um, Amare and others who were thinking that that um, wall might have been a dam, are you suggesting that these wetlands are all now wet because the dam broke? Um it's, well, the problem is there wasn't any water coming down that hill, so. And not to mention, I think there were more ruins behind it. So they would have been underwater if that was a dam. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in any case, presumably there wasn't water down here before. Hang on, let's, we gotta, we gotta keep going on our tour here. Um... What else would you do to make a marshland easier to inhabit other than like a some sort of pump? Well, it's weird because marshland, this does not appear to be, right? We're in rocky hills here, primarily. I mean, yeah, I technically, guess yeah. these are like tarns, aren't they? Uh, or like little, little oxbow lakes left over from when the river changed its path around the delta right yeah that seems likely that seems likely yeah nothing nothing that I'd call a lake it's more of a pond there are little ponds everywhere left over from the river changing its course over the years but okay oh I think this was but all the, the buildings here imply it's been like this for centuries if not a millennia right but I thought that was a oh Whoa. Look at this. Oh. Doesn't that look like a first epic gazebo that had this whole then business built around it? Yep. It does. It really does. Unless there are Cardo Engine towers on this, which I'm not seeing, just stars. Yeah, I'm not seeing anything yet. Okay. Pretty unadorned. No, yeah. uh, that main edifice is. Yeah, the main edifice is quite plain. I mean, it's got that uh, characteristic blue stripe. And yeah, but it looks like of... some of the barracks we've seen. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Weird. Where are we now? We're down quite... We're getting closer to the river. Um closer to the southern part of uh, of Sedgemead here. Oh, 
Vegemeat's full of surprises. Yes, it is. All of these things that we're seeing, all of these old structures in Sedgemead, all seem to be sort of isolated individual. Oh, is that Tharbot itself? That is Tharbot that we're so. seeing. Yep. Okay. Okay. Um, I think we've come full circle. Yeah, let's ride around the south here. Um, yeah, Nancy says the wall back there looks almost brutalist um, compared yeah. to the gazebo. Yeah, I mean, it's especially compared to the gazebo. I agree, it's very stark. Um, let's see, and that is no. That's yeah, we not... only saw barracks like that up at like Angmar and stuff. Yeah. What is going on here? Whoa! Yikes! Looks like a numinous. Yeah, a little bit. Really well, interesting the... tower. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's got those flutes on the side. Mm -hmm. This isn't the one we saw last time, was it? This is different. No, one. no. I thought it was my first thought. I'm like, we haven't come back around in Nimbarth, but no, you can see Nimbarth. It was pretty dark. Distance. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is um. Green I bell tower again. Yeah, that's yeah, that's Newbarth right over there. So oh, we're yeah. yeah, so we're right down on the river. Where are we? So that? Okay, right, over here. right on the other side. So um, it looks like so you, you see the little the little the little bay that those offshoots create uh -huh. between Nimbarth and yes. here. This mm -hmm. looks like a almost like a sister city kind of deal to Nimbarth. Right, like they have the yeah. two different settlements across each one with their yeah. cool decorative tower. Yeah. And well, I think I, given yeah. the whole tower motif in Cardolan, I think that that's pretty definitive. That these yeah. were you know, that like they're like, Hey yeah, we're gonna make a you know, a, a settlement or a, an enclave or whatever it is. Um, but we're gonna give it a like cool distinctive tower. Because you know, well, that's what I, well we do. this one, the top of it's rather, rather obviously cut off. I think mm -hmm. this one would have been the same as the other one over there, possibly with that oh, big. Maybe. Uh, no, let's see. You got the start of the flutes on the side, and then the top's lopped off. Hey, man, come, come back around to it. Oh yeah, I see it from here. I was, um, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Okay. From the other side, when I was looking at it from full west, um, mm -hmm. it didn't, didn't look as broken off from this angle. You yeah. Can see and it much more clear. didn't look like it last week because it was so dark. We couldn't tell. Yeah. Oh, I see just what you mean. Yes. Yes. I think they were matching towers. Yeah. You're right. So well, it does, it's though, actually, hang on. The shaft of the tower itself is not the same as the bell tower, because you see how that one has like the sort of flat sides with the um, with the raised corners, right? Of the of the lighthouse tower, whereas yeah, 
this has like recessed corners. Maybe there was like a male and female part. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I get. I think they. But yeah, they do seem like they're meant to correspond with each other for sure. Yeah, my big question is: Do you think there was a big bay at the top? Because someone had mentioned there might be a a beacon or something on top, because it looks like a place to have a pyre or a beacon. Yep. Would this one would have had that too? Yeah, uh, possibly. Yeah, possibly. If we can find the remnants of it, so many bits here. Yeah, this 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 place uh, just keeps going. Yeah, this is huge. Um, and notice this place it doesn't even get a flag on the map hmm. it was that forgotten huh apparently yeah it's been yeah, forgotten it still says, it's, it still says set me. It's just, yeah exactly we're not even in a named place ah uh, look at this like center this was I think this was a fountain with this uh, yeah. obelisk in the middle yeah, yeah, we saw something similar at the other one. Yeah, it kind of looks like it. Yeah, you can see the, the, the rim of the fountain is buried underneath all this bracken. And there are the tower markings on the door. Yep, there we go. Yeah, yeah. Well, we knew we'd find it here. It was the barracks we weren't so sure. Oh, about. for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay, so that's really interesting. So we have, so they built these two corresponding little towns or complexes down on either side of this inlet, um, which is weird because the inlet doesn't seem to be used. For, like it doesn't go anywhere. Like there's, but whatever. It's interesting. I mean, I maybe guess that's the, why nobody found it and named it or remembered. Yeah, it. Yeah, maybe there was no reason to go here. So we got Nimbarth and Humbarth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Nimbarth and Nonbarth, I, I, I don't know, but... Nonbarth. Um, yeah, anyway, um, so Sedgmead looks like it was... So one of the things that's most interesting to me about this element is compared to other places like Ruddymore or up on the South mm-hmm. Downs. Up on the South Downs, we saw occasional ruins, but they were more isolated and they were smaller and they seemed to be mostly towers. Whereas yeah. here... And, like, out in Ruddymore, we saw the occasional, like, hunting lodge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but very little else apart from Gairvarad, right? That one big city with the one very prominent tower. Um, yes. Down here in Sedgmead, we've seen huge, and I mean, even, like, up to, uh, what's it called over here? This uh, Everstead over by the Trollshaws. Um, and then Nimbarth, and then Nonbarth, and then the rest of all of these other places in Sedgmead, which are huge and really nice. Like there was, yeah, this is where money lived, I think, back in the day, down here in Sedgmead, by the river. Um, you're still part of Cardolan, but you're close to the road, right? You're, it's easy to get to Tharbad and from thence down towards Gondor. Um, mm-hmm. So there, it would have been in that way... Like I mean, it's way inconvenient for the northern realms, but that's okay. We're Cardolan now. We've separated off from like Anuminus. Who wants to go to Anuminus or Fornos? We want to go down to you know Gondor and whatnot. Um, but um, but yeah, it's much more. It's not exactly densely settled, but it's it's 
there there were so many ruins here, and so many of them show signs of um, significant uh, homes and villas, uh, essentially, down here in Sedgmead. And that I think here in Sedgmead and up in Karanost is where um, is where all of the um, um, the old money of Cardolan lived, um, mm-hmm. as opposed to Tiern Gorthod, where they were particularly crazy. Though again, let's not forget the reconstructed ruins down here in Sedgmead as well. Um, yeah. Not to mention the relatively local necropolis um, uh, features. Yeah, yeah, but um, but it's definitely it's, um, yeah. different I mean, down they, here. They didn't even raid this place for stone or anything. It's just here. Yeah. It's like, did they? Is this place supposed to be haunted or something? Well, not very. It we would dare seem. Not I mean, speak its name. <laughs> not compared. To, yeah, not compared to most of the other haunted places we've been. Some quite nearby. Yeah. Um. But um. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, so yeah, so we found where the like peaceful settlements of Cardolan were. You've got the you know, both the towers in the in the northern part of the South Downs and up at Tiran Gorthod are all about defense because the enemy mm-hmm. was to the north there. Um Ruddymore just seemed to be mostly wilderness and largely abandoned outside of Garvarad. Um but here at Karnost and Sedgmead seems to be the now I know that the like the there seems to have been the official seat, like a center of political power up there in Tirn Gorthod, which is not surprising yeah. because the political power would be um sort of focused on the frontier. Like the you know, one of the main jobs of the political leaders would be to conduct the war, right? Um but um meanwhile further away from the war, down here in the south, as far as you can get away from the war as possible and stay in Cardolan, um, we have, you know, the wealthy and comfortable down here in Sedgmead. Yeah, it would the estates. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it belongs yeah. to nature now. Look at all these trees and willow trees, this big willow tree in the middle. Yeah, the willows are fun. It makes it really nice in here really peaceful yeah reminding us of maybe that's why no one's here this isn't the the scary blasphemous cardolan that everyone knows yeah this is uh they don't want it to get on the map because then tourism will get out of control and you know the peace of the countryside will be wrecked all right so next time the the peaceful place just makes them sad for how it all ended right true true okay so next time we'll head to um uh We'll head down to Tharbad. Yeah. Let's check it out at last. Absolutely. All right. Very good. Well, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you, Valori. And uh, we'll see you guys again next week. Tharbad next week. Pretty exciting. Yeah. We've been wanting to go to Tharbad and Lotro for years and years and years. And I'm finally going to go <laughs> next week. So pretty awesome. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. And have a good night. Bye. Bye now.